and I hope that you do, uh, turn it to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have one, there may be one and under the row in front of you. You can use that. I preach out of the King James, uh, New King James Version, and so um, that's what I'll be reading from this morning. A Sunday school teacher asked her class, what's one thing you know that's going to happen at Easter? And a little girl raised her hand and said, we are going to eat egg salad sandwiches in our lunch for the next week, all right? Uh, you got to have a little gray in your hair or from the countryside of the tracks because all this new generation knows is plastic eggs with a, a candy in it, right? And uh, one of my favorite memories of Easter is not finding all the real eggs and then mowing the yard about two weeks later as a kid and uh, either hitting one or being hit by one that your brother chucks at you. And the smell is horrendous, right? I mean, it's just like, what in the world died in the yard? Well, if I had time to go around the room, I'm sure there would be many different answers about what Easter is. Some of you may say it's all about family. Let me tell you, be grateful for family. If you're here this morning with any type of family, family, be grateful for them. Be grateful for them because you never know when you won't have them anymore. You never know when the last Easter is. And I, I find it hard sometimes for people who have regrets because of how they treated family members that are no longer here and yet they regret it. Why they're alive. Why you have them. Set aside the differences. Be grateful for family. Some of you might say, well, I know Easter. Easter is about going to church because we never went to church, and on Easter Sunday, my parents always made us go to church. Some of you may say, well, I know Easter um, is all about uh, you know, some uh, uh, things that people get together and do some things, and yet it's just a great time of fellowship. Well, this morning, you may not be real sure about what Easter is or why Christians get excited. excited. You might say, well, Pastor Ted, what is so special about Easter? What is it about the Easter message or the Resurrection Sunday that Christians get so excited about? Why is Christian faith, the Christian faith, so excited every time Easter comes around every year? Well, Easter is so special because of one word. The word is hope. It is the hope that we have in God through Jesus Christ and His resurrection. It is the hope that God loves people like you and like me. And that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross. Yes, he died. But praise God, Easter signifies his resurrection. And because he was resurrected, we can have victory. And we can have hope. And we can have a heart that is full of waiting for the future redemption of all of God's people. Have you ever felt the sting of hopelessness? A recent poll was given, and it says that 64% of Americans feel a sense of hopelessness throughout the week. And it didn't matter if it was young or old, or maybe you're, uh, you know, in between. I suppose that all of us at some time feel the sting of hopelessness. Certainly the disciples knew this. Certainly those who were following Jesus in that day. They had the message of Jesus. They had forsaken all that they had to follow after him. And then all of a sudden he dies on a cross right in front of their eyes. And they were like, our world is shattered. Our world is broken. And sometimes in life, that's the way it happens. This world will lead you to a point of hopelessness. And the world has a, a, a great bait, but a sorry hook when it comes to hope. The bait is that something of this world can give you hope. 
but the hook is that it will leave you emptier than before. And listen, throughout the world, it doesn't give real hope because it cannot give real hope. Every one of us in our heart has eternity set in our heart. Uh, one uh, philosopher says it's like a God-shaped vacuum or hole in your heart that can only be filled by God. And whatever you try to put into that void, that, that void that's in your life, it'll just keep dumping and dumping and never be fulfilled because only God can fill that void. And listen, today people are flocking to all sorts of things like, like knowledge. You ever realize how smart everyone is now, right? I mean, you have some ailment or you tell somebody sick and immediately they're a doctor. You're like, wow, you are a doctor. Did you go to school? No, I Googled it, right? <laughs> okay, well, that's not going to work for me, right? Everyone is a teacher. Talk about any subject and they begin to tell you something like, oh, are you a teacher? No, I'm not a teacher. I Googled it, right? Everyone's a lawyer. What you ought to do is sue that person and you can get this and you can get, oh, you're a lawyer? No, I watched it on YouTube, right? So Google or YouTube, it's just a information knowledge. Have you noticed that we have experts on everything? We have all the tools we need and all the knowledge that you can imagine in this world. But today, more people are still hopeless than ever before. You know why? Because knowledge won't transform your life. People are also flocking to sensual things and sexual immorality. You know, our world has gone absolutely insane over this. We, we are falling for pursuing for sexual immorality like that will make you feel loved or accepted. And like I said, the bait feels really good. And it's out there for our young kids and it's out there for families to fall for. And it makes you, it pulls you in. But let me tell you, when the hook gets into you, it drags you to the shore of hopelessness and it leaves you broken and wounded and emptier than ever before. It does. And listen, people are also flocking to religion. Churches are full of people wanting to do something to be felt, uh, to make God happy. They feel like they can do something to earn God's favor. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. That's what it is. And many people think, well, I guess I'll go to church this morning or I'll help my neighbor or I'll help some people across the street, you know, to satisfy the big guy upstairs. You know, maybe he'll be happy with me. One philosopher said that man is incurably religious, and it is true. But let me tell you, you can join every church in Jacksonville, in St. Augustine. You can walk every aisle. You can be baptized in every pond until the frogs know your name, all right? You can do everything religious you can ever imagine. But at the end of the pursuit of religion, it will leave you hopeless. Because religion cannot give you this hope. And maybe this morning you walked in here and you felt the sting of hopelessness. In your life, you've been searching for something that this world can't give you. I got good news for you this morning. I got good news. That's why I love to be a preacher of the gospel. It's to preach, it's to preach the good news of what Easter is all about. What the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. What Jesus Christ can give you that this world absolutely cannot give you. And before you leave this place today, I want to give you the opportunity to receive that hope that all people have in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read through these scriptures. You've been here before. You know I love this verse on Easter. And I'm going to, I'm going to work my way through it. And we're going to take a look at these promises we have through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This morning I want to begin with the end of verse 3, then we'll work back through the promises that are in this verse. So how sure can we be of this message I'm going to share with you? How sure can I be or you can be about the promises you're going to hear about Jesus Christ or the hope that we have in God? How sure can we be? As sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that sets his message apart from anyone else. If we did roll call for those who are dead this morning, every single religious leader would stand up and say, Here, but yet Jesus Christ is not there. He's not in the tomb. He is not, death did not hold him down. He was resurrected. And because of that resurrection, all these promises are true. Through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, every promise in the Bible was secured and guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think many times as church and as pastors, for me as a preacher as well, a lot of times, if, if I had to do it all over again, and I had to preach more sermons or teach more sermons, I would include more about the resurrection. And I'm not alone about this. Uh, Billy Graham said if he had uh, to do it all over again, he would preach more about the resurrection. Because when it comes to the resurrection, there's power in it that there's nowhere else. And the power of the resurrection is what sets Jesus Christ apart from everything else. And it makes all the promises of the Bible true. Guaranteed. Bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Have you ever been to Costco? I have. we got a new Costco here, right? I know you guys have because every time I go there, I see half of St. John's County in Costco, right? It's full all the time. And when you go to Costco, instead of buying one bag of snacks, you buy ten bags of snacks, right? Instead of buying 10 rolls of toilet paper, you buy 1,000, right? I mean, people can't even cram it in their car, and they're getting it down. We're like, hey, it's a good deal, though. But my whole pantry is going to be full, and my, my closets are full because it was cheaper, right? But it is cheaper. But when you leave Costco, I did not know, being a rookie, going to Costco. I'm a Walmart kind of guy, if you couldn't tell. And so I, at Costco... It funnels you into these doors as it leads out. There's two people standing there. I thought, okay, they're just telling you, have a nice day when you get up there, right? So I get up there with my cart, and they look at me, and they look at me like I'm, you know, something's wrong with me. And they say, where's your receipt? And little did I know I needed that receipt because I got hooked by the dollar something hot dog on the way out. And I downed that hot dog on the way, and I threw it away with my trash with the hot dog. And they told me, you have two choices. You could go back, dig in that trash, and find your receipt. Or you got to go see the manager and get a receipt to prove what you paid for in your cart. The receipt was proof that what was in my cart was bought and paid for. Well, listen, Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross and through his resurrection 
It was proof that everything that's in the cart has been paid for. That's good news. It is guaranteed through the resurrection that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is receipt that the heavenly Father approved of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ that his blood, his sacrifice paid for it all. Not some of it, every bit of it. Every bit of it that I'm going to share with you this morning, every bit of the gospel that we believe in as Christians, it has been bought and paid for and proven, proven through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What are the things that were proven? First thing I want you to see is Jesus secured through his death and his resurrection abundant mercy. Abundant mercy. It, it begins with abundant mercy. Mercy is a judicial term that is best defined as withholding punishment. Mercy is not saying you were never wrong. Mercy is saying you are wrong, but I'm not going to punish you for it. You deserve this punishment, but I'm not going to give it to you. In, in plain English terms, it means not getting what you deserve. In southern terms, it's not getting backhanded when you, when you backtalk your mom. You know what I mean? Some of you, have you ever been backhanded before, right? That's what's wrong with some of y'all. Y'all never been backhanded, all right? Come up to me later and I'll have my mom show you what a backhand is, all right? <laughs> Although my dad was better at the backhand when he was driving than my mom. But if my mom ever got her flip-flop off, you're in trouble, all right? Because she would wear you out with a flip-flop, all right? But listen, when you've done something, you know it's going to happen, or your mom says, wait till your dad gets home, you know, you know it's coming, but when, when mercy steps in, it says, you are wrong, but I'm going to withhold the punishment for your wrongdoing. Oh, I love what Peter says right here. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are wrong. Listen, why do we need mercy? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means I have sinned, you have sinned. Every single person has missed the mark. We have missed perfection. God is a holy and righteous God, and we've missed that perfection. And now I'll show off my seminary language here, skills, and the Greek, this word all. You know what that means in English? All. Isn't that good? I'm telling you, I, that was a good investment I had. All means all, right? That means every person that's ever taken a breath on this earth, save Jesus Christ, has fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I can't stand before God. You can't stand before God. Billy Graham, Graham can't stand before God. Anyone who you think is a saint or who is never, who would be the highest of the high in your book, they're all included. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect. God is holy. We're all in the same boat because he is a righteous God. He is a perfect, in his perfect just, justice, he will not just excuse your sin. He will not ignore your sin. He will not just overlook your sin. But through his mercy, he says he will choose to withhold the punishment that you deserve. That's good news. That is good news for you and for me. And I love what he says, not just mercy, abundant mercy that is mercy on top of mercy and listen just one of my sins created a debt that I could not pay just one of my sins just one lie one word spoken in anger or one moment being impatient 
had made a gap between me and God. And one sin I could not cover. And oh, how I've sinned much more than just one time. I have a litany of sins. And if I don't have enough of them, Aaron can fill them in for you as well. And you have them as well. We all have sinned. And we were made to be with God and to love God. But our sins separated us from God. And we deserve the wrath of God. But yet, the mercy of God comes and says, it's available to you. And to me, that's the hope that we have. We fall short, but mercy steps in. And when he paid for our sins on the cross, he has given us mercy. His payment of, for sin satisfied the, the holy wrath of God. And all my sins, past, present, and future, is paid in full because of Jesus. Now that is abundant mercy. That is abundant mercy for you and for me. And you might say, well, Pastor Ted, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times I've failed, and you're right. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how, how far you've gone, but I could, I, how far you have gone, but I can confidently tell you this morning that if you have breath in your body, there is hope for you because God's mercy can cover all sins, every sin, and it's available to you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, just as it was for me as well. Praise God for His abundant mercy. In our place, he took our sins, and in the cross of Jesus Christ, he did for us what we couldn't do. That's abundant mercy. And listen, for me, I know I love chocolate. I know you can't tell it by my physique, but I love chocolate, all right? Aaron cooks very well. That was one of the curses of having such a wonderful wife, right? And she cooks a lot of things that I like, as you can tell, but she cooks one thing called a Hershey bar cake. And in that Hershey bar cake, she puts chocolate in the batter. She puts chocolate in the icing. She puts chocolate on top of the cake, around the cake, under the cake. And every time you bite into something from that cake, all you taste is chocolate upon chocolate upon chocolate. And it's over and over. It's like heaped up chocolate. You know what? This same word here is like mercy. All our sins have, been, have violated God's standard and we deserve justice. But abundant mercy upon mercy upon mercy is available for you and for me, secured by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, all your sins, past, present, and future, you do not, you can, you do not have to be punished for them because Christ has offered mercy for them. And through Him, you can have mercy. And through Him, you can have hope that your sins will be paid for on the cross. First thing is abundant mercy. Second thing the resurrection has secured is the abiding presence of God in our life. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Begotten us again to a living hope. This word begotten us again means a brand new birth. Uh, the message of Jesus Christ is not just for our past, it's for our present day. Today, as you walked in this place, Peter says, God's mercy is available for all your sins, but now God's abiding presence in your life is available you, uh, for you as well. We have a living hope. It is something that works on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, every day of your life. You can have this abiding power of God in your heart. The Greek, I mean, the words here, begotten to us again, means that God has taken our sins and forgiven us through his abundant mercy and that by his power and presence, he has birthed us again, spiritually alive. That's what's so important about the gospel. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a crutch to make you better like religion. It is a resurrection of a dead heart. It is that you could not do what God wants you to do, but yet He gives you life, spiritual life. He radically transforms your heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, when we get to the baptism, that's the picture. As as the picture of someone going under the water is a picture of the old life. That is you dying to your old self. And as you're raised out of the water, that's the presence of God that now lives in you. That's the new life you will live in Christ. And Christ comes to live inside of your heart. And listen, every time you try to be religious or try to do good, you will always fail. You know why you will fail? You don't have the capacity to to fulfill God's commands in your life because you're spiritually dead. You don't have the understanding of the wonderful things of the gospel and of Jesus Christ because you have no rebirth. The rebirth has not happened in your heart. And listen, every other religion tries to conform you from the outside. Christianity transforms you inside that works to the outside. And in your heart, in your life, your spirit, the Bible says literally you become born from above. The spirit of God is birthed into your heart and the, and the spirit of God indwells you. And from that point forward, you are a new spiritual creature. I've heard people say to me, and so, Pastor, I would be a Christian, and I will be a Christian one day when I can live it. You'll never be able to live it. You can't live it on your own. The Christian message is not try harder or be a better person or clean up your life. It is that you are dead in your trespasses and sin, but through trust in Jesus Christ, you become born again, and there's a new life in you. And the picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is exactly what happens in your heart. It's a new birth. And for you and for me, the question is, have you been born again? Do you know this rebirth? Do you know this power, this radical transformation that happens in your heart? And I did that once before. Maybe you might say, or I've tried that. I might get over it. Listen, no one ever gets over the rebirth. If you've been reborn, you know what it's all about. You just have it in your heart and you know it is there. And the good news is that it's available to you this morning. And when Jesus comes to indwell your heart, he never leaves you nor forsakes you. This is where it gets even better. Through this process of God coming to live inside of your heart to to change you, he comes with you and walks through things with you every single day. The Bible says, as Jesus has said to us, and through the word, that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And listen, I don't know what people do in this world without Jesus. You know why I say that? Because life is rough. Life is tough. It's not a question that is if the bottom's going to fall out, it's when the bottom falls out. And if you've lived any amount of time, you understand in your condition of life that you're either in a storm You're heading out of a storm or you're heading into a storm. That's just the way that it is. And listen, the storm as you are in, you might think it's finished, but yet with the abiding presence of God, He comes along beside you and He walks with you. And through every marriage crisis, Jesus is with you. Through every heartache and pain and loss of death, Jesus is with you. 
Through every cancer, heartache, and pain, Jesus is with you. Through every problem with your children as parents, you know there's nothing like pain from your children, right? When your kids are hurting, it breaks parents' hearts. And the Spirit of God comes and He walks you through that process. And the indwelling Spirit of God gives you hope. Even when it looks hopeless, you still have God there for you. And He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Bill and Gloria Gaither sing one of my favorite songs. And the backstory of that song was written by Gloria Gaither. It was during the late 1960s and she was going through a hard time. Bill was on the brink of death, and he went through a horrible um, illness. She was trying to recover from that. Some people were coming against them and belittling them. Then the world was falling apart around them, and they had just had a lot of turmoil, and they found out that she was pregnant, and they were going to be having a child. And so through that process, she, had, uh, she was gripped by fear and anxiety. So much so, she got to where she couldn't go to the grocery store. She couldn't go to, 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 uh, to other people's houses or even go to church. And her heart was so gripped and she prayed and she prayed. And she said, God, I need an answer. I need help. I need something to help me because my life has been gripped with fear. And I need something to walk me through this. And she sat down one night at 2 o'clock in the morning. The Spirit of God came to her and she began to pen these words. God sent His Son. They call him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know, I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And listen, I don't know about you, but if you've ever listened to that song in the midst of the darkest times of your life, it speaks volumes to you. And you have that same promise through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through all the heartache and the pain. He rebirths you. He gives you a spirit inside of you. And every single day you can get up and take another step and keep walking forward in the faith because Jesus lives. He lives. The resurrection of Jesus Christ secured our abundant mercy. It secures our new birth and the power and presence of God. Finally, it secures our eternity. You realize that one day we all must die. As a pastor, I have to go when people die. I have to perform funerals. I have to go when families die. And let me tell you, there is, a, there is a stark reality of those funerals of people who know Jesus Christ and then people who don't know Jesus Christ. There is a hope. There is a joy. There is a peace of the people who know that that person knows Christ. And let me tell you, you one day will die as well. And you one day will look to eternity. And what we see for our 80 to 100 years is nothing compared to eternity. Nothing. And listen, I checked it this morning. 100 out of 100 people die, right? Every single one. One out of one. It's 100%. At death forces you to realize we will not be here forever. You know what stinks about that is every single day we're reminded that we're extinguishing or that we're perishing, right? It stinks that we're getting old, right? I mean, for me, as growing old, it gets tougher and tougher. You know, your back goes out more than you do, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you see something down on the floor and you're walking by and you go, 
hmm, is it worth picking that up or not, you know? You might just walk by. And then if you do bend over and pick it up, while you're down there, you're like, what else can I do while I'm down here, right? Because I might as well get it all done while I'm down here. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking about it yesterday. Tanner was at his weightlifting meet in, uh, in, in Flagler Palm Coast, and he was lifting weights. He's, in, he's a senior in high school, and so he was lifting weights. And, uh, oh, first, this is, not, this is a rabbit trail anyway. There was a kid there who had a shirt on. And on his shirt, it said, Jesus, the ultimate deadlifter. Isn't that cool? That was really cool, wasn't it? Anyway, that was really cool. I thought that was cool. But anyhow, he, he gets down there, and so Tanner goes for 430 pounds on the bench press, you know. So he brings down 430 pounds. He holds it there for, like, seems like eternity, and then he presses it out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you got that, son. 440's nothing to it, you know. And I thought to myself, what would 440 do to me? You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> My arms would fall off, like my chest would explode, like there's no way I could ever even walk tomorrow. Like what, what kind of, per, what, what, what kind of uh, perspective do I have, right? Because you know things break down, they wear out. Your hair turns gray, you know what I mean? You, you begin to go through this process of dying every day. And you know this life will come to end. And as this life shall soon pass only What's done for Jesus Christ will last. And listen, that's the perspective we ought to have. And the eternity that we have through Jesus Christ that's been secured by the resurrection. Look at verse 4. It's an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's good news. You know why? Because the things we have in this world is not like that. This world perishes. This world passes away. But throughout eternity, Jesus Christ says you have an inheritance of life, of righteousness, of peace, of, per of perfection. And it's incorruptible. Literally, the word in the Greek means something that's unravaged by an invading army. It's not pilfered over. It's not something that passes away or decays. It's undefiled. That means it's unpolluted, unstained with evil. You realize in the presence of God for eternity, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more curse of the law. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. And not just for one day, it never fades away. Listen, I love these flowers that the Rochelle and Tammy was able to put up here this morning for Easter. What a beautiful picture. And they're so full of life. And yet, for a few days go by, they begin to fade away. They begin to fall away. Listen, in eternity with God forever, it does not fade. It does not fade away. They're kept there by the power of God. Not by my word and not by my power, but by God. It's a good thing to hold on to God, but it's a greater thing that God holds on to you, right? And He holds us. He grips us in His sovereignty. And He holds us to an inheritance that we have nothing to fear. We're going to spend eternity that's not defiled and not corrupted. And so many times we, we miss that in this life. We miss it because we live for the things that are corruptible. And the things that are will fade away. I mean, think about it for a moment. People give their whole life to try to build a dream home or a house on the beach or a house on the river. And they give all they have just to get that possession. And when they get it, they're not really happy with it anyways. And some people try their whole life to accumulate money 
They sacrifice their family. They sacrifice the time with their kids. They sacrifice all they have. And yet, one bad day in the economy, it all collapses. One day, it's all gone. People invest their life in all sorts of things. When I was a kid and a teenager, maybe you're here this morning, you're young, you think, I just can't wait to get a car. For me, it was a 1978 Ford Bronco. You know, I love Ford Broncos. And today I look at them and thought, if I would have kept it, I'd have been a millionaire by now, right? Because that's what they want for them now. But on that car, when I got it, I got a 78 Ford Bronco. And I got it home, and I started to work. And I was like, look at that little bubble right there. I pit my finger. The fender almost fell off. You know why? Because of rust, right? It decays. It rusts out. These things that we think is all that God's going to give us us hope. There's no hope in those things of this world. Only the inheritance of God can give you hope. And I could tell you for my life, I do not know what my future holds, but I do know who holds my future. And this morning, if you're here and you're wondering about your future, what lies ahead, let me tell you, if you know Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection These promises are true for you, for your past, his abundant mercy, for your present day future. He will walk you through whatever you're in in this life and for an inheritance forever in the future because of the power of God. Listen, the message of Jesus Christ is a message of hope. It's a message of hope because the resurrection has secured that hope. And the question for you and for me this morning is, have you believed in this Jesus Christ? Because ultimately, that's the question you're going to be asked. Is Jesus Christ the resurrection and the life, as it says in John eleven twenty five, 25? And do you believe that He is? And do you believe? And if you believe, you will live. And let me tell you, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior this morning, I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you this invitation. And when I pray this morning, during this invitation, I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer. And then we're going to have a time of prayer as well. Then we'll have a short time to be able to reflect on what we are. Then we'll get to our baptismal uh, service as well. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I want you to think about this prayer. I want you to think about your heart. I want you to think about what you're resting in this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, could this really be true? It is true. It is true because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning as I stand here today, the same hope that I have is the hope that you can have. And the Bible simply says this, that if you believe, if you trust in Jesus Christ, and so this morning, if you've never done that, I pray as you pray this prayer. Now these prayers are not magic words, but they need to be the intent of your heart. And this morning, if you'll pray with me just as I pray this, the Bible says you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so the prayer goes like this. Dear God, I know that I have fallen short of your glory this morning. I trust in your mercy for my sins that has been given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I ask you to forgive me of those sins and give me mercy. I trust in you and you alone, Jesus, for my salvation. All my hope is in you, and from this day forward, I want you to walk with me every single day of my life. And when I take my last breath throughout all of eternity, Lord, I will be in your hands in an inheritance that will never fade away. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you've never done that, I pray this morning you will do that.
and you'll have the hope of the gospel this morning. And for those that are here that's done that this morning, I pray your hearts will be full this morning of joy and peace and hope. And I pray as we have this time, they're going to play a song. Two minutes. I pray if you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just seek the Lord this morning to say, Lord, here's my heart. I need to know your touch. Maybe you're like Gloria. And you just need God to walk you through something. And this morning, you need to hear, because he lives, you can face tomorrow and you can. Maybe you're walking through the darkest days of your life. Jesus will be with you through that day. And maybe this morning, you'll just feel a fresh presence of God in your life that will help you take the next step. Whatever it may be, I pray this morning as they're going to sing, I just encourage you, like I said, to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and continue to seek the Lord this morning. Say, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it for your glory.